Welcome to Work and Play, the award-winning podcast of Constanji Brooks, Smith & Profit, where we discuss employment news and provide practical tips and insights that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson. With me is my co-host and partner, Sherry Silberman. Sherry, I make no secret of the fact that November and December are my favorite time of the year. I love seeing my family during the holidays. I love making or finding the perfect present for people that I love. I love how excited my kids get. I have been known to play holiday music for two months straight, much to the chagrin of everyone around me. I even love snow, which I know is not really something that you Florida folks understand. (laughs) Yeah, white Christmas to us means sugary white sand on the beach. So, you know, but no complaints here. And the holidays are right around the corner. They might look a little different this year for some of us, but they still make me happy. Unfortunately, there are some parts of the holiday season that aren't so happy, like employment-related lawsuits. Ouch. The part of the Grinch will be played by you, my friend. (laughs) I nailed the audition, right? Right? I mean, you're not wrong, but I was kind of hoping to keep the happy vibes going for a bit longer. (sighs) What can I say? It's a hazard of the job. We tell it how it is. It's true. And in the spirit of unflinching honesty, what I want to do today is talk through a few holiday scenarios to highlight some of the most common issues associated with the holiday season. In holiday seasons past, in those present, and in those to come. Oh, you are so into the theme. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's up first? Our first holiday scenario is entitled, We Wish You a Merry Hanukkah Anza. Hmm. This situation is going to be about religious discrimination in the workplace, isn't it? Gold star, Sherry. Yes. And here's my scenario, which is a work of fiction. Any similarity to actual persons, living or dead, or actual events is purely coincidental. I love that you pulled out that disclaimer. (laughs) All right, go ahead. All right. Let's say that you are a private, non-religious employer operating a facility in the state of disbelief. Like me, you thoroughly enjoy the holidays. So come November 1, you put up the Christmas tree, announced the date of the Christmas party, and started playing Oh Holy Night Overhead. Aw, I've missed the state of disbelief. All right, I'm following you so far. Let's say that you also require all your employees to wear a branded polo that reads, Jesus is the reason for the season. And you require all employees to answer the phone with Merry Christmas and may God's blessings be upon you in the coming year. Maybe everyone is on the same page at this company and this doesn't create any issues, but you said this wasn't a religious organization. So I'm guessing that you're about to say, One or more employees object to some or all of this. Excellent guess. What might be some of the issues here, Sherry? As we've talked about before, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibits discrimination on the basis of things like sex, race, and religion. And so, in your scenario, if you have an employee whose sincerely held religious belief prohibits her from celebrating Christian holidays or 
Christmas specifically, then you need to engage in an interactive process to see if there's a reasonable accommodation that can provide that you can provide to allow the employee to practice her sincerely held religious beliefs and keep her job. Keep in mind that when we say interactive process in the Title VII context, it's not the same process as what happens in the ADA context when you're you're talking about an accommodation for a disability. However, the general idea remains the same. You're talking to an employee to figure out what he or she is asking for and whether that request is doable or whether it's an undue hardship on the company. That's right. Just by way of example, in recent years, a religious discrimination lawsuit was filed alleging that an employee was unlawfully fired after she refused to wear a Santa hat and apron. There was another one that alleged an employee was required to attend a, quote, Christmas party with holiday-themed decorations where there would be drinking and dancing, even though the employee had requested permission not to attend the party as a religious accommodation. And there was also one that alleged that some employees were fired because they refused to adopt religious practices and beliefs imposed by the employer as part of a company culture revamp. And those are just a few of the examples of lawsuits that have been filed by the EEOC in the last decade or so asserting religious discrimination. So while my fake example may have been a little over the top and I may have had a little too much fun with that one, what are some of the best practices in this area, Sherry? Under Title VII, employers must attempt to reasonably accommodate a religious belief or practice before taking an adverse action against the employee. But it's generally best not to spend your time debating with the employee whether a belief is sincerely held. It doesn't have to be part of a widely recognized religion, and it doesn't have to, hear my air quotes here, make sense to you personally in order to be sincerely held. Agreed. Instead, I think your time is better spent on figuring out whether accommodating the employee's religious belief would impose an undue burden on your business operations. If your employee is just asking not to wear that polo shirt I mentioned earlier and to instead say happy holidays when they answer the phone, then, you know, I feel really safe in predicting no court is going to find this to be an undue hardship, even under the much lower threshold for undue hardship set forth in Title VII. I'm glad you mentioned that threshold again, because this undue hardship is quite a bit different than the ADA undue hardship. But yes, I agree that a request not to wear a shirt, not to answer the phone that way, or not to attend a super Christmassy and boozy party probably isn't going to be a burden on your operations or cost you any money. In fact, probably save you money with the booze. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> even uh, even de minimis amounts. I feel like we say this every episode, but I again feel compelled to note that some states have their own state-specific religious accommodation laws. So you do need to be aware of the laws in the areas in which you operate that might impose different or higher requirements on employers beyond those set forth in Title VII. Good call. All right. What's our next scenario, Susan? This gym is entitled, All I Want for Christmas is Cash. That's catchy. Did you make that up? 
I did not. Someone wrote a parody of the Mariah Carey classic, and I thought it was a great way to introduce a segment on holiday wage and hour issues. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I thought it would be nice to give a quick reminder about holiday closings and holiday comp. Uh Uh-huh. All right. I see where you're going here. Let me take a deep breath and see how quickly I can do this. (laughs) The super short and sweet summary is that exempt employees must generally be paid for any week in which they perform work. Non-exempt employees generally need not be paid if the business is closed and they're not working unless you have a collective bargaining agreement in place that requires payment or unless you have a policy stating that you'll pay for certain holidays. If you make non-exempt employees attend the holiday party or the parties during regular workday, or if, of course, they're working the event, then that's generally going to be compensable time. And one other tidbit that generally comes up in this area is that you can typically exclude discretionary holiday bonuses from an employee's regular rate if it is truly discretionary. Nailed it, Sherry. We could obviously go into a lot more depth here, but I want to move on to my favorite holiday-related issue, the work holiday party. Yes. Oh, so many issues here. All right. What are you calling this one? I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Nice. Or how about Baby It's Cold Outside? Because that one generated so much controversy in the past couple of years. Also a solid suggestion. All right, here is my next largely fictional scenario. Let's say that your company decided to host its annual holiday party in a dimly lit comedy bar slash strip club. (laughs) (laughs) Attendance is mandatory for employees, but family is not invited as a cost-saving measure, of course. The CEO herself is manning the drink station, and you are serving unlimited (laughs) alcohol. I think you need to stop because if you keep going, I don't think we're going to have enough time to unravel all the issues you've already mentioned. All right. Fair enough. Um, Do you want to start with that venue issue? I I, I think we have to because I can't get past this. I... I'm going to stick, that was a cute one. Uh, I'm going to stick my neck out here and say that in my professional opinion, it's not a best practice to hold a company event at a strip club. I'm shocked, Sherry. Are you suggesting that not everyone enjoys a good strip club or (laughs) perhaps a comedy club where age, sex, race, and other protected characteristics will almost certainly be mocked and ridiculed? Okay, we're talking about workplace party, right? So no, that that is exactly what I'm saying. I don't think everyone will enjoy that venue for your holiday party. And I'm also going to suggest that your venue be ADA accessible to all employees and invitees. I agree. I know that we as employment lawyers are often viewed as, you know, wet blankets, But I do prefer to see venues and entertainment that are accessible and appealing to a broad range of employees, also (laughs) non-offensive. That's always helpful. Uh, All right. So let's talk about this dimly lit part, Susan. I'm betting that you were setting the stage for harassment or even assault complaints. You are correct. Sexual harassment claims are one of those classic holiday party issues. Classic in a bad way, not classic in a good way. 
it is cliche that things can happen when employees are out of the office and drinking that would not otherwise happen. And it's not a good thing. Agreed. So let's say you have a high-performing employee who has never been accused of misconduct, but he had too much to drink and pressed himself up against a colleague and tried to kiss her. She pushed him away and he backed off. Let's say it was out of character and the employee is remorseful. How are you going to handle that? Well, I have a two-part suggestion here. The first suggestion is What could the company have done to prevent this incident from happening in the first place? What type of activities are you planning for your holiday party? Are you having employees sitting on Santa's lap where Santa is played by the COO? Did you invite family or significant others? Hey, reasonable minds could differ here, but I tend to think having your spouse and three children in attendance might put a damper on some... Uh, shenanigans that could otherwise occur. I can see that. I've also been known to recommend that companies serve a lot of food and limit the amount of alcohol available by either using a cash bar or issuing drink tickets. Or at least if you're going to do an open bar, you might want to close that well before the end of the event and have taxis or rideshare or even designated drivers available. And hey, it never hurts to remind employees that the regular rules still apply. Sexual harassment is still against the rules at the party. Sounds very reasonable to me, Sherry. While we're on the subject, let's go on a a brief tangent here and talk some more about booze. What about my fun fact that the CEO, CEO is manning the bar? Oh, this strays a bit outside of employment law, but you really can't talk about holiday parties without booze. So I think we need to just say, generally speaking, hosting an event means taking on certain risks and your liability as an employer for something bad that happens at a workplace party or even driving associated with that party is often going to depend heavily on whether the party was within the course and scope of employment. Right. And there are workers' compensation implications here too. It's, again, going to be dependent on what state you're in, the specific circumstances, including things like whether the employees were paid to attend the event or required to attend it. But you could face some exposure there too. Yeah. So for a couple of reasons, it's probably a good idea to hold the optional event offsite and hire someone else to serve the alcohol. Good call. Let's circle back to the original scenario, though. Let's say you took all of these reasonable precautionary measures, but unfortunately, the employee still had too much to drink. He still got up on the other employee and he tried to kiss her. What is part two? How are you going to handle this? So let's pull back the curtain for a moment to give credit where credit is due. We took this example from our colleague Robin Shea's famous and amusing blog, Employment and Labor Insider, and she took it from an advice column in the New York Post a few years back. It's true. We didn't make this one up. However, it is a common scenario. I see sexual harassment claims way more often than I do religious discrimination lawsuits. But you know what, Sherry? This happens sometimes. The employer, they can just totally ignore it and say, You know, it was simply because he was drunk. No harm, no foul, right? 
Yeah, our, our listeners are smarter than that. Uh, no, you, you just can't take the ostrich approach and you can't say, you know, he didn't know, he didn't mean it. No, this is something the employer needs to investigate and address just like they would if it occurred during business hours in the office. And in case it needs to be reiterated, you're not going to make an employment decision based on how good of a worker this guy is or what title he holds. And you're not going to give him a free pass on harassment or assault because he was drunk. You may decide to give him a final warning or you may decide to terminate him. It's really going to depend on the facts of the situation. But you do need to do something substantive here because this behavior is absolutely not okay. Not even if you're drunk or outside the office. Absolutely agree. But as we close out, I don't think we can ignore the elephant in the room here. What about COVID-19? How does coronavirus figure into the calculus of the holiday party? I'm betting that many companies are opting to do something a bit different this year. Either they're not having an in-person event or it will be more limited outside, require masks and other safety precautions. I think you're right. The numbers I've looked at recently show some variation by state and region. So it's possible some companies might be considering an in-person event. However, even where the state and local rules would permit a gathering of this size, I think many organizations are just going to decide that the potential risks and the potential impact on the business are simply not worth it this year. So perhaps one silver lining of 2020 is that we'll see fewer complaints from issues that arose at holiday parties this year. I like your glass half full perspective. And I have another happy thought for you, Sherry. It's something we haven't mentioned in a while. Sherry Oki, is your offer from many months ago, many episodes ago, still good? Would you be willing to sing a little something, perhaps something seasonal, in our next podcast if a viewer leaves a new review for us on iTunes or another platform? Maybe you would want to rock out a little Jingle Bells, Frosty the Snowman. (laughs) You're full of ideas, and you're awfully cavalier about committing me to sing something. I'll be honest, I think I was suffering from COVID delirium when I made that offer because I truly don't think anyone wants to hear me sing. And I think that's why nobody, you know, our dear friend Tori excluded, made a request. So I'll tell you what, though, uh, because I really would like to hear from our listeners. Let us know your favorite recording artist or TV show, and we'll try to work it into an upcoming episode, just like I did for Susan in our episode on hiring. I want to hear you sing. But I guess this is almost. I can call you afterwards and do something. (laughs) I promise. Listeners, you heard it here. If you leave us a written review with a request, we will select a winner and weave that into an upcoming episode. And of course, we are always open to suggestions about future topics. So you can post or email us those as well. And just in case anyone is wondering, I really did not ask Sherry to use Gilmore Girls as an example in our hiring episode, nor did I know that she was going to use it. Thanks for joining me today, Sherry. You're welcome, Susan. Thank you. Before we sign off, I want to make our typical request of our listeners. As I've said before, we are a new podcast, and it would be wonderful if those of you listening would follow us, rate us, and especially leave a written review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts so that people 
who are interested in, in employment law can find us. We hope you tune in again in a couple of weeks for the next episode.